Welcome to the Deeper Podcast. I'm Pastor Doug Taylor, and I'm joined by Dr. Dave Vance, lead pastor of Crossroads Church. We have campuses in the North Central Ohio area, and we're excited to, to be online and in Shelby and downtown Mansfield and on Park Avenue. And this Deeper Podcast is designed to help you go deeper in God's Word and to grow deeper in life application. We're in the podcast series on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been a great series so far as we've journeyed through Jesus's, like his first main public message, and he and we've said before, he's really got after it, right after the bat, and, yeah. and we're into uh, chapter five of Matthew. We're looking at 10 verses from 38 to 48 in this message, and he really talks about retaliation. <laughs> and uh, I'm laughing because it, everything in me wants to retaliate at times. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's just silly stuff with sports, you know, the whole Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. Is there anything like that in Maryland, like that Ohio State? Like when I was little, I didn't even think Michigan people could get saved. I mean, when I was little, you know, and then I grew in like, oh yeah, no, they can. Um, is there anything that equates There's to nothing to that? that level. I just want to say, in, in Maryland, we're pretty normal. Um, we certainly root for our Terps, and we're diehard about that. Uh, we don't like Duke. Uh, back in the day when uh, Maryland was in the ACC, uh, Maryland and Duke had a little rivalry. Duke would say it wasn't a rivalry. Maryland would say it was, and we would beat them, and they would beat us. And so uh, I, I've, I've taught my kids the phrase Duke puke and uh, for that reason. So we don't like Duke, but nothing like Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, this is this is otherworldly to me. I hate to tell you, but like forty-five percent of the country, as of right now, thinks Duke's going to win the whole tournament. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and forty-five percent of the country is wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> and and besides retaliation in this section, we also see love your enemies. Yeah. And it's interesting. This is an interesting passage to walk through, and a lot of people. Um, know about this an eye for an eye but they don't really understand what Jesus was getting at and the whole turn the other cheek yeah. passage and I want to ask you some questions as we kind of dive into these verses about retaliation and eye for an eye and and what it, what does it really mean to love your enemy and I think as we do that we kind of have to define who your enemy is right right, right? um so Jesus finishes the section on focusing on retaliation and the treatment of our enemies. Um, have you ever had an instance when you retaliated? Was, this is a, the personal story time. Never. No, never, I'm just kidding. Never. No, you know, one of the moments that stands out to me the most, and I can talk about moments I fought with my nephew. We were, we were, we were six weeks apart. I was born an uncle, and uh, my sister and mom were pregnant together, so we fought like brothers, and uh, we would, you know, get mad at each other and retaliate. One of the, one of the moments I remember most, though, is a, a, a young, I was in seventh grade, a young man named Brian, and Brian was a troublemaker, and I would I would consider him a, a bit of a bully, and uh, I, I was an, I was an athlete. I played on the football team, and I remember one day he came up, and I just happened to be his chosen. Uh, chosen person to make fun of and he he said some things about my mom you know the couple of things you don't mess with right you don't mess with the guy's mom and you don't mess with the guy's dog like you you insult the dog you're, you're you know talk about my sisters talk about you know <laughs> but don't talk about my dog or my mom and uh, he said something about my mom and I said listen you say another word about my mom I'm gonna drop you man I'm you know and so that edge started coming out so anyway it was actually in home economic class I remember the remember exactly the classroom I was in it was in the basement of the school and uh, we go upstairs to where the lockers are I'm getting my my books out to uh, to change to the next class 
And he comes up behind me and pushes me into my locker. My books go everywhere. So I reach down to start picking them up and he begins just to punch me in the face. And uh, out of instinct, and, and I was a good student, I would consider myself, I never got in trouble, never, never got in trouble, especially with teachers and try to respect my authority. I just remember closing my fist and going, boom, right in, the, right in his nose. His nose actually exploded. Blood went everywhere. And you know the first thing I did, Doug? The first thing I did after nailing this guy, I mean, setting him in his place, I cried. I cried because I knew I was going to be in trouble. And so, you know, there was that moment of just, I am going to, I'm done. I'm done. And, and it was like it bubbling up inside of me and all the self-control as, as a seventh grader could have became an explosion of a punch. Um, that even today, I, when I think about it, it I can remember it like, like I was right there. Um, certainly have moments where I've retaliated. How about you? Have you ever had those moments where you retaliated? One of the funniest ones was uh, at basketball camp. My assistant coach, Dan Hammer, the boys kept eating his food. And, and he, so he went to get wings and he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get these guys. He said, make sure you tell them I was the head coach. Make sure you tell them not to touch my food anymore. So he brings back these wings, but he got the ones that you have to sign a waiver for. They're like atomic hot <laughs> wings, like humans shouldn't yeah. eat them, you know? So he got those cause he knew that they were gonna, they were gonna come after his wings. Yeah. So he got a whole mess of them. And so I told the boys, Hey, this is, this is coach's lunch. Nobody, nobody touches food. And of course they swooped in tears rolling down because they all grabbed one to eat it so he had some retaliation on those boys you know today you could get in trouble for that i just just probably so you know so. it would probably be a, a so. different a different era today probably so <laughs> um what's so what's jesus getting at with the eye for an eye and go the extra mile um he tells them to resist the evil person. Can you explain this yeah so so you know he comes in this section and all of these are 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 transitioned by the phrase you've heard it said and he says but I say to you and here he says you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and the question we ask is is that really in the Bible right is is that idea in the Bible and it is back in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 21 there's this law of retaliation an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth life for life uh, a wound for a wound it says a burn for a burn and, and the idea of this was actually it, just historically, it predates the law of God, actually. It goes back to the, the Hammurabi's law code, um, 18th century BC. And uh, the purpose of the law really was the law to protect those who, the one who offended, um, meaning you, you can't give more punishment than the crime entails. And so it was meant to protect the one who actually did the offense from being overly punished for or unjustly punished. They should be punished, but it should be a just punishment. And that was meant to protect everyone involved. And so it was used for uh, a civil picture. Um, in fact, in, in Exodus, it's really a civil picture of Israel. And this is how you respond when someone does wrong. You only go as far as they've gone. You never pass that, uh, that line of injustice. So it was meant really to protect everyone. The, the problem was in Jesus' day, the scribes and Pharisees took this law and because of, of being under Roman authority, they made it personal. And so they took uh, what was a restriction on revenge and really man made it a mandate of retaliation, meaning if someone hurts you, hurt them back. That way you never took it to the Roman authorities and they weren't bothered by it.
And so it was, it was kind of changed in this way. And it really, it took the civil authorities away from their authority to be able to deal with it in an appropriate way. So it was really convoluted. So when Jesus said this, they clearly understood not only the Old Testament law of this, but the, the present reality of living this out and how it looked. So Jesus says, an eye for an eye. But then he responds and says, but I say to you, the, the, and you mentioned it, the, do not resist the one who is evil. And really, that is the controlling verb of this text. And that's the idea of do not resist the one who is evil. And that word resist literally means to kind of kind of push back or, or set aside or, or restrict them. Don't restrict them. Because what Jesus is getting at is really this countercultural, that's what the Sermon on the Mount really is, this countercultural lifestyle of saying instead of pushing away from the evil one, actually draw them near because what they need greater is the gospel. And then he lays out four illustrations of this. And you mentioned one of them. Uh, he, he, he goes in and says, if someone slaps you, slap them, you know, let, turn the other cheek. If someone takes your tunic, give them your cloak as well. If, if uh, someone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. And he says, if someone has need, give to them. He gives these illustrations to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond um, differently than what everyone else would, what the world will, will, would do. And I want you to respond with, with, with mercy and grace. Don't give them what they do deserve, mercy. Give them what they don't deserve, grace. And that's the image. And so if you're, you get slapped on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Give them what they're not expecting. They take your tunic, give them your cloak. Go above and beyond. Show mercy, but also show grace. And this, I really believe, was meant to be a, a glimpse into the gospel that Jesus was going to show them three years later at the cross. And can you quickly describe what does it mean to go the extra mile? Yeah. Well, in, in, in that day, uh, the Roman authorities had the uh, power, and specifically Roman soldiers, they had jurisdiction all over Judea. They had the authority to get anyone to do anything for them for one mile. And so let's say they came home after a battle or they came home after a long day of protecting the people, so to speak, or furthering the Roman Empire. They could come home and they could require anyone to carry their armor or whatever they wanted them to carry for one mile. And there were mile markers all over the Roman Empire. And so the idea was when you were asked to carry something for a Roman soldier, you had to buy one, for one mile. And it was required of you by the law. Uh, in fact, we see this with Simon of Cyrene at the cross. Jesus couldn't carry the cross up to Golgotha. And so a Roman soldier forces Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross. He was required by Roman law to do that. And so this idea of, of going the extra mile uh, meant now don't just go one mile carry it two mile do, do it do something different than the rest of the culture would so that it stands out in the love of christ and that's the point of that what are some examples that uh, members of crossroads could do to go the extra mile what what could we do in our cities wherever the people that are watching or listening live what can we do as christians to go the extra mile yeah so in the text you know the whole idea is going the extra mile for someone that doesn't deserve it or or, or really not only doesn't deserve it, but they've proven uh, that they, they, they deserve justice. And I think it's so important. I, you know, I think of an author that, that once said, if you, if you love justice and that means you want justice, you're, you're, you're probably going to get injustice. But if you want justice, but you understand injustice, then the, the antidote is love. The anecdote, the response then is love. And that's the point of this is how we respond. And so the question is, am I responding in ways that show that I love God more than I love myself? Am I responding in ways that show I love this person just as much as I love myself? And that's really the question that Jesus is getting at. So when we talk about going the extra mile as, as a church or as Christians, um, 
who is it that offends us or, or we, we struggle with? Who is it that grips us? And then do we go another mile for them? Are we willing to walk the extra way to make that difference in their lives or to share the gospel? By the way, this could be people in our lives. It could be our spouse. It could be a rebelling uh, teen. It could be a boss that continues to walk over us with words. And are we willing to go the extra mile and showing them a gospel reaction, a gospel response? It can be on social media. And I think this is a big one, Doug. I don't know about you, but so many people, they look at social media as a place where they can respond and no one can tell them what to say and do. And I would dare say in Jesus' day, if, if Jesus was here today, he would say something like, hey, we need to go the extra mile in social media to make sure that we're responding so that our love for Christ outshines our frustration with any situation. And that's really where Jesus is getting at. And again, a countercultural, difficult is am I willing to respond in a way that demonstrates him over myself? And that's the question of any response. And so social media, man, do we get on there and just land blast what's happening? Um, it could be the government. It can be a politician. We have to be very careful with our responses, our reactions, and our words uh, to be able to reflect, to make sure that we're reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the point here. Because of our sin nature, we're prone to hate our enemy. It's just whoever that nemesis is, whatever that, you know, the thing is, we're prone to, to hate our enemy. But but what's our enemy? We talked about earlier, we got to kind of define who the enemy yeah. is in order to be able to love them. So how would you define the enemy? There, uh, my understanding is Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> High five on that High five. Yeah, yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> No, I, I, you know, in, in, in Jesus day, there was a, a rabbinical inference that any outsider, um, would be considered an enemy. And that would be, uh, someone who was a Samaritan, a Gentile, a Roman, uh, anyone who was not a Jew and not a proselyte to Judaism was considered an enemy. So when you looked around the Roman soldiers, the, the Roman authorities, uh, Gentiles that lived in the area, they would be considered enemies. Um, and, you know, I think here Jesus defines it. You know, it's it's the people that curse you. It's the people that hate you. It's the people that exploit you for selfish gain. That's really the image of what an enemy is. Uh, in our day, it could be a lot of different things. You know, it could be, um, and I would I would go so far as to say probably all of us have a list. We have a list of what we consider our enemies. And at times, those enemies change. And uh, there are moments where the enemy could be in our house. Uh, there are moments where enemy could be in our workplace. There are moments where our enemy could be at a, at a game for our kids. You know, our, an enemy could be a lot of different things. But, but Jesus here says it's those who curse us, those who exploit us selfishly, and those who hate us. Those are our enemies. And so, um, again, there's an open picture as to what that enemy looks like and applied in our lives today. In Jesus' day, it was a little bit more clear because it was based upon, and if I'm being honest, it was based upon uh, nationality. It was based upon upbringing. It was based upon religion. It was based upon race. It's exactly what we see today is many people have issues and really their enemy, uh, they look at from those same perspectives. Uh, times that really have not changed in our culture today. Yeah, as we look at why do we have enemies, I'm, I'm you know, I think so much of politics right now, yeah, right? Be yeah. Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever. But no matter what the other side says, I'm not going to agree with them, even if I really do agree with them. Yeah, because because that's the enemy. And I don't want and I and it's almost like, you know, it's hard to have conversations, rational, sane political conversations, because we've drawn that line so deep and so hard that even though they're neighbors, they're enemies when it comes to politics. 
politics. People are either on our team or they're not on our team is what I'm seeing in society. Yeah. And we all have that, right? Sometimes they're like, well, they're that. They're Republican. They're Democrat. And don't we see this in the church world even where it's, well, we're this church and we're not that church. And, and, and it even happens, I hate to say it, in the Christian world yeah. where we feel this dividing line of perspectives that could be just little nuances, but right. yet almost act as if enem they're enemies. Right. You're either on my team, and not. if you're not on my team, you might as well be an enemy or, or, or dead to me. Um, the, the so how do, can we change our opinions? How does Jesus tell us to treat people that might be perceived as our enemies? Yeah, and, and, and that's where the text goes next is, you know, he says, you've heard it said you shall love your enemy, hate or love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Again, a neighbor would have been a Jew or a proselyte to Judaism. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove that you're sons of the Father, that we can show our DNA. So Jesus here says, this is what I ask you to do to your enemies. Instead of hating them, actually love them. And the word here, love, is the word agape, agapao. It's the word self-sacrificial love. Of course, Jesus showed the ultimate self-sacrificial love to, to his enemies on the cross. We who were his enemies because of sin, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's the point is we self-sacrificially love those who are unlovable. We love those in a way that only God could do it through us, even though they're unlovable. So what Jesus does is he breaks down the distinction between a neighbor and an enemy. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love both of them equally. I want you to love your neighbor, but I also want you to, want you to love those who are far from, from, your, from your perspective. Why? Because the goal is that they know Christ. The goal is that they get to know Christ. So you talk about political dividing lines. Politics change when people know Christ, right? Or ideologies and perspectives. They change when someone knows Christ. If we put Christ at the, at the head of the conversation, now all of a sudden, what matters most is their, the destiny of their soul more than the perspective of their earthly life. And, and that's what Jesus is getting at is, is we show love. By the way, he tells us how to do this. He, he says to, to bless them. He says to do good to them, right? To give them what they don't deserve. And then he says to pray for them to pray for enemies. There's something about prayer where all of a sudden I, I'm becoming personal with the person that I actually am an enemy with and I'm calling them to God. I st I'm standing on their behalf before God and saying, God, work in their lives. And I begin to love them when I pray for them. Yeah, he gives us the, the antidote right there. Yeah. To, to, when you're thinking about somebody, when you're praying for somebody, when you're doing nice things for them, it's hard to hate them. Yeah. When, you're, when you're rooting for them and praying for them, it changes your heart and makes it easier and easier you know, to obey God and to do that. That's right. It's, it's our prayer. And I guess let me ask you this. If people are driving in their car listening, they're watching on their computer or they're watching on a big screen with their community group, um, and they start thinking about one or two people or a group of people <laughs> yeah. that is their enemy. You know, we, we've said these three things, but what's the first step for them to do when they're, when the Lord or the Holy Spirit pops one or two people into their mind? Yeah. And we all have the list. <laughs> and so we have to omit the list. And uh, even if you say, well, I love everybody, um, there are people that will, will eventually be your enemy. Then if you're in a position right now where you just love everybody, I, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, don't live in your hurts. We all have people that have hurt us. 
We've all have people that we, be, we consider enemies. It could be at work. It could be at home. It could be a, a past situation. Don't live in your hurts. I think Jesus is calling us not to live in our hurts, that one day those pains will be made right, that we have to trust God that vengeance is his. They will answer to God. Secondly, uh, don't escalate the situation. If you have an enemy, don't escalate. Instead, bring the criticism that you feel to God. Bring it to God in prayer. Pray for those who persecute you. Um, be a good listener. I, I think one of the things we can do is, be, is, is, is we can practice good listening skills with people who disagree with us, people that we would consider enemies. So uh, when you're having a conversation with a Michigan Wolverine fan, be a good listener. And you might not agree with them. Um, be a good listener and then win the battle on the field, so to speak. Um, and, and then pray. Pray for those who hurt you. There's something that happens in you when you pray. And if necessary, forgive. I, I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his book, Strength to Love, he, he wrote that forgiveness is the factor that changes the world. And I, I, I can't agree more that when we forgive, we're actually then demonstrating love in action. And so forgive those that need to be forgiven. And then when you forgive, you turn that enemy into a friend. Um, I love that picture. Prayer is the anecdote. And uh, John Stott, I want to end with this quote. He said, if the cruel torture of crucifixion could not silence our Lord's prayer for his enemies, what pain, what pride, what prejudice against us could justify silencing ours? And so may we pray for our enemies and may we make a friend out of them by loving them like Christ does.